everyone. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. We hope that you find encouragement today as you listen. I want to begin this morning by just asking, uh, have you ever been at a place where you've needed your birth certificate, uh, uh, you know, a, a copy of that birth certificate? Maybe, well, maybe you're trying to get a wedding license, maybe a passport. I don't know if that's still required or if social security number is, is sufficient. Or maybe some colleges I know at one time would, would require that you show a certified uh, you know, copy of your gift certificate. I'm sorry, of your, uh, of your birth certificate uh, uh, before that you would know, be enrolled or whatever. And I don't know if that's something that you've experienced. Maybe if you're a little bit older, maybe if you're younger. I went up the other, uh, uh, a couple weeks ago, and I was interested to see if my if my mother still had my birth certificate. And um, she turns out she had it kind of in like a little, a little box that, uh, that had a little, uh, 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 kind of not a key opening, but a little bit of a, uh, uh, a need there to, to it, was, it was a locked box of some sort. You needed a passcode. And uh, I was really interested. I was actually a little bit disappointed because when she pulled it out, this is my birth certificate right here. <laughs> I was expecting something elaborate, you know what I mean? Um, kind of like what they give you at the hospital with your footprint on it or something like that. I, expect, I can hardly, I've got glasses and I can hardly read this this morning, but I, I did put it up here for you all. I had it blown up on the copier. So what do I learn from my gift, my, my gift certificate? I was a gift, that's why I keep saying that, okay? <laughs> at least I, I, I was the fourth of, of four sons, and I keep telling myself I was a gift. My mother wanted a daughter, I think my dad did too, but I was a gift, all right? So I was born actually at 2.23 p.m. in the left-hand corner on May 7th, 1960. My dad is Norman Sylvester, remember Sly Stallone? I always call my dad Sly, he doesn't like that anymore. Uh, my mother it gives her, her her maiden name there, and she's from Minnesota, and Minnesota, and dad's from Colorado. I get all this information. There's three children before me, and and I don't know what that last number is there. Uh, the, Luther Hospital, um, Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Again, 19. I have numbers and everything. It's really kind of cool, and it's it's really important. I thought what was really cool is I continued looking through this envelope, right? And uh, I found out how much it costs for me to be born. All right, so let's see. This is 1960, right, in northern Wisconsin. It looks like the total cost of my birth was $137. No, no, I take it back, $168.30, but there was a, a clergy discount. My dad's a pastor, $31 discount. And so this answers the question, why did my parents have so many kids? It was just really cheap back then to have kids. So anyway... Are you here, Mom, this morning? All right, so I can say whatever I want. You're not here. That'll teach you not to come into Madison to church because I can say whatever I want, whether it's truth or not. So the um, uh, reason I show you that this morning is to kind of give you a word picture. Uh, my message has a title this morning. It's called Certificates and Snakes. And, uh, and uh, uh, in, in John chapter 3, Jesus has two conversations in the Gospel of John that don't show up in any of the other three Gospels. Remember, we've talked about Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They call them synoptic Gospels because you're kind of looking at, you know, through one eye and one lens. Much of it is, is replicated. There's some uniqueness to each of them, but mostly it's just replication to three different audiences. And then along comes John, and it's totally different. And 
part of what's different are these two beautiful conversations that Jesus has with two very different people. One is this woman who is kind of an outcast at a well in, in um, um, uh, Jacob's well in Samaria. Uh, and, uh, and the other one that we're on a location with a very important man in Jerusalem. And uh, here's what John chapter 3, verse 1 says. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Okay, so what's the Jewish ruling council? <clears throat> Some of you, or maybe a few of you, know all, the, all these things, but I just want to give you a quick overview of what we're looking at here. Um, there's three words that you just need to kind of look at. Sanhedrin means this. It's, it's actually, in its, in its literal uh, meaning, it's council or assembly, and it represented what was called the Jewish ruling council in Jesus' day, the Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin, and it was the highest ruling body or court of justice among the Jewish people in, in that first century Israel. It was made up of about 70 or 71 members, had high priests, it had chief priests and elders and scribes, and had two different ruling groups, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, okay? Now, the Pharisees, they show up a couple hundred years before Jesus. The Greeks have taken over Israel. Remember, we talked about the Babylonians and the Assyrians, and the Greeks came in. The Egyptians were always nipping at their heels. And, I mean, Israel's just constantly under foreign control. And at one point, there was a Seleucid king or a Hellenistic king, I forget, who was trying to, who was trying to remove the faith of Israel from Israel and a group arose out of that, and they, they stood uh, firmly, and they, they stood for their principles and their faith and all that God had shown them. And we see it in the Old Testament in the first five books of the, of, the, of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy, and the prophets and the Psalms, and they were standing for it. And there was even a revolt that took, took place, the Maccabees. They revolted. And anyway, out of that came a, a group called the Pharisees. And think of these Pharisees, what a beautiful gift to Israel they were. They were there to preserve uh, the Holy Scriptures and God's teaching, and they believed things that maybe others didn't believe about the greatness of God. The Pharisee literally means separated ones, all right? And again, they're religious and even political because they're a part of a ruling class, the Pharisees, and uh, they, they followed another group that showed up somewhere in, in, you don't see it maybe necessarily in the Old Testament, maybe we do, but they're called scribes. And the reason the scribes came on the scene is because they were the ones that were taking the scripture and interpreting it and trying to stay as true to the scripture as they could and then finding practical ways to live out the scripture, the scribes. And uh, the Pharisees followed the scribes. And the reason the scribes were needed is because the priestly class, those who were called to represent God or the people before God, it had become corrupt in the history of Israel. And so it's like Israel needed a, a, a group of leaders and uh, scholars and just ordinary people who were very pious and loved God and they took the scripture and they, and they, um, and they presented it to the people. And so this, the, the, the Pharisees aligned themselves with the scribes and, uh, uh, and uh, see if there's anything else I want you to see here. Yeah, interpretations, customs, rulings, rulings, interpretations is how to apply God's law. That's what the scribes did. Now you have the Sadducees. Now, they were more, uh, again, the Sanhedrin had Sadducees and Pharisees, kind of the two ruling and opposing parties. And 
uh, the Sadducees, they were made up of uh, the wealthy and the influential, probably the priests and the high priests. Um, uh, they were maybe the movers and shakers. They were the ones that maybe owned the land. Uh, and they kind of liked the status quo because you have external forces ruling your nation. They don't want to upset the uh, apple cart and, and have their uh, lake home on the Mediterranean taken away or something. And so, but here's what's interesting. The status quo, they just wanted to stick with the five, the five uh, Pentateuch, the five first books of the Bible, what Moses gave to them, uh, uh, Genesis through Deuteronomy, and they did not believe in the resurrection or the afterlife or heaven or hell or angels or spirits. They just, what they, if they couldn't find it in the first five books, they didn't believe it, okay? And uh, so this is what you have. You have Pharisees and Sadducees, and they're part of this ruling council, the Sanhedrin, and Nicodemus is a part of the Sanhedrin, and he's a Pharisee. And Jesus would say here in this text that we're looking at this morning that he was a teacher of the people. He was a teacher of Israel. So he was, he was a gifted. He wasn't, he, maybe he was a scribe, one who would unpack the scriptures and, and present them to the people. But this is who this man was. Now, why did he come at night? It's probably pretty obvious. If you look just a few verses earlier, Jesus is in Jerusalem and what does he do? He goes into the temple and he turns over the tables of those who are trying to turn a quick buck on the sacrificial system uh, and selling uh, animals for sacrifice and money changing. And it was just, it was corrupt. And Jesus had done that. So he was upsetting the system. And I'm sure there are those in the Sanhedrin, probably Pharisees and Sadducees, who are very upset at this young prophet, rabbi, teacher, whatever you call him. Signs and wonders are kind of following him. He's doing great things. His, his reputation is going before him. But he comes into town, and he comes into that sacred place and space there in the, uh, in the temple, and he starts tipping over tables. He goes, he goes crazy, you know, uh, and uh, for, for a righteous purpose. So Nicodemus, this Pharisee, who's a teacher who he, he, he's, he's interested and he comes in private in the dark, you know, the, the cloak of night to ask him some questions. Now what's interesting is he, he doesn't get to say very much. Here's, here's the conversation, okay? Uh, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. And Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now, I just, I, I, you, know, you catch things every time you read things, and you read things a lot. If you're, you know, you just, we love the word of God. We love the Bible. We love the New Testament. We love God, the gospel of John. But I'm just, I'm just like, Nicodemus didn't even, hardly even got out. What, what was he trying to ask you? He didn't get a chance to really ask him a question. He just states who he is. And next thing you know, Jesus is unveiling this revelation that's going to, uh, is going to shake probably Nicodemus's theology or worldview and maybe everything else or in between. So uh, what's wrong? And now, I want you to put yourself in Nicodemus's uh, shoes for a second this morning. He is a leader of the most powerful, uh, influential group in Israel. All right. Uh, they, the Sanhedrin had their own police department. The Sanhedrin, uh, they were allowed to make rulings on just about anything in the country except for capital punishment. They would have to go to the Romans for that. You can see that at Jesus' crucifixion. They can only go so far. But the, this, is the, this is the ruling class of the great historical nation of Israel. And Jesus is saying, 
You want to experience the kingdom? You've got to be born again. Wouldn't that just frost your cookies if you're Nicodemus? Think of it. He is a son of Abraham. Abraham is the one that experienced the visitation of God that said, I'm going to make of you a very big nation. I'm going to make of you a nation that will bless all nations. I'm going to bless you, and your, your offspring are going to be more, more numerous than the sands of the, of, 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 of the beach. Okay, we'll just say it that way. In other words, you're going to be really big. You're going to be really important. And he is a son of that. And he, the hope that he has, that the, the promise for all the world was going to come through Abraham. And this is Nicodemus. He is of that lineage. He is of the house of Abraham. He is a Jewish man. And here's Jesus saying, hey, Nick, your birth certificate isn't sufficient. You need to be born again. You need to be born again. And that kind of confused him a little bit. Uh, <laughs> uh, and what we're, what we're talking about, and we, most of us know this, some of us may not know this, but what Jesus was addressing here is not a physical, but a, a spiritual birth, a heavenly birth certificate. That's what's needed. I was thinking this week, Debbie and I, had a chance to go out. We had a pastor's conference the beginning of last week, um, or was it two, yeah, two weeks ago. And then what we did is we went up to the mountains for a little bit, had a uh, Breckenridge, Colorado. We had the conference in Western Kansas, and then we went up and just got a little, got away for a couple of days. It was really beautiful. Leaves are changing, the aspen trees. And then we went down to Denver, <clears throat> stayed with some pastor friends of ours. Debbie spoke at Amazing Grace Church, did a great job, shared her testimony what the Lord's done in her life over the last couple of years. And, uh, and I'm hanging out with Pastor Joe Beach, and he and I have been friends for 35 years or so and co-pastor together in this ministry, this network of churches we're a part of. And uh, he's showing me, he's really become intrigued with, uh, I guess, a PBS special on the, <clears throat> I don't know, the history, the origins of country western music. Well, I like anything historical, so he's got me just when he said history. And so I'm sitting there watching it with him, and... Uh, and of course, there's a, he's only wanting me to see it because he is a, a Dylanologist. It's like he lives and, and breathes. If I, should, I should all give you Joe Beach's telephone number now, and you can call him after church because he doesn't answer one of Bob Dylan's songs answers. Okay, that's just the way it is with him. Okay, he's a, he's a Dylanologist. But Bob Dylan shows up with Johnny Cash in Nashville. And he's, did you see that? Did you see that? Yeah, I saw that, Joe. Okay, that was good. Um, but Chris Christofferson comes into the, uh, into the picture. And... Uh, and so it intrigued, it kind of got my brain going. So, okay, I remember Chris Christofferson, you know, uh, and I thought, well, who is he? And as I began to unpack it, I realized he was really quite a guy. He was a Rhodes Scholar. He just wasn't one of the old country western bumpkins down there writing some tunes. You know, he, he was a Rhodes Scholar. You know, went to Cambridge, Oxford. He um, came back and flew, flew helicopters in the, in the military and then was asked to teach at... Uh, one of, the, one of the military colleges, I think it was West Point, and he, did, he gave it all up to go, to go to Nashville because he felt like he wanted to write and sing songs. Wow, his family did not like him at all, all right? Later on, it was all reconciled, but you can imagine, this guy, he was quite the pet, wrote novels in high school, one was published. I mean, you don't think of that. Some of you are going, Chris who? All right, Google it, you'll be impressed, all right? You maybe remember... Um, a star is born. Now I've got you, right? Well, I'm talking about the other star is born. Chris Christofferson and Barbara Streisand. That's right. Some of you are old enough to remember that. And uh, actually, I think there was two others. I think there was Judy Garland in the 50s and Brian Peterson. No, I don't know who it was, but, but uh, it was somebody else. And I think there's one in the 40s. So 
what just showed up here at the cinema is, is old. It's, a, it's, it's been made over and over. But Chris Christopherson did it in the, in the, uh, in the 70s. And he was a good actor and a uh, pretty good singer. He always say he doesn't have a great voice, but he was quite, a, he was quite a, a, a songwriter. In fact, his songs were sung by uh, Janis Joplin and Ray Price and Elvis Presley and Johnny Cash and a myriad of others. And some of his songs went all the way to number one uh, being sung by those artists. But when I think of Chris Christopherson growing up, because when I was 12 years old, believe it or not, I wasn't listening to a lot of country western music. Uh, but I do remember one song that he sang, and it was, Why me, Lord, what have I ever done? That's about how he sang too, right? Uh, to deserve even one. He had a really gravelly voice. Oh, the blessing. Anyway, um, and that's the, no, don't clap, please. Uh, <laughs> That's not my best. I'll try, I'll try harder later, maybe. Uh, but uh, that was, and what's interesting, Why Me was the name of that song, was the only song that he recorded that went all the way to number one. It really impacted our 1972. Now, listen, I'm going to bring this all back, believe it or not. Remember, we're in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, this, this conversation with Nicodemus, you must be born again. Here we go. In 1972, he wrote this song. It was, it was the biggest hit of his career. And he had, here's what happened. He, he was invited to attend a church outside of Nashville. He says, I didn't go to church. He said, I heard him years later say, I'm not much of a church guy. He goes, uh, but he attended church outside of Nashville with some friends, and Larry Gatlin was there. Larry Gatlin sang a song like, Help Me, Lord. And he says, next thing you know is the pastor's preaching. He remembers the pastor's name to this day, knew who he was. And he said, at the end of the service, he said, is there anybody here who just needs to um, experience the Lord or uh, 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 encounter Christ or I don't know exactly what he said. He said, just raise your hand. And, 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 uh, and Chris Christopher says, are you kidding me? I don't even really go to church. The last thing I'm going to do is raise my hand. Next thing you know, he said, my hand went up. And, uh, and then the pastor said, all those who need to get right with the Lord or, or, or accept Christ and, and yield their, surrender their life to Jesus Christ or whatever, would you come forward? He said, listen, that's the last thing that's gonna happen at this point. You know, this is a public thing. He says, next thing you know, I'm walking down the aisle and I'm standing in front of the pastor and the pastor tells me to kneel down. He says, why are you here? He goes, I don't know. He goes, he, he says, he laid his hand on me and he said, he just began to, Chris Christopherson said, I began to weep. He said, I begin to weep like, a, and I don't like crying in public. He said, I begin to cry like uncontrollably. And he said, it was like a weight was lifted from me. And I felt forgiveness like I'd never experienced before in my life. And he'll talk, I saw him talking about a couple years back, eight, 10 years ago on YouTube. He goes, I, I've never experienced anything like it. It was like otherworldly. It was like, he was born again. You see, heavens opened up. Remember the ladder we had a couple weeks ago, Bethel? And heaven's opening and angels coming up and down the ladder. Imagine this ladder behind me. And, and, and the Old Testament uh, uh, patriarch named that place Bethel, the house of God, because it's where he met, where it's where heaven opened up and came down and connected with earth. That night outside of Nashville, this broken, because he said he was in a rough place, hedonism. Man, when you, start when you start getting rich because people are singing your songs and they're going to the very top, they know your name, uh, Hollywood is calling, and he said he was a broken person, and that night, heaven opened up, and he couldn't even control himself because he encountered Jesus Christ. He encountered the kingdom of God. He encountered uh, heaven kissing earth. 
and, and, his, and, uh, and, and it, it transformed his moment. He got up, went and wrote the song. Why me, Lord? I actually have the lyrics, but I don't have the time. You'll have to Google it yourself. <clears throat> he says, I'm kneeling there, and I carry a big load of guilt around, he said. And I was just out of control crying. It was, these are his words, it was a release. It really shook me up. It was just a personal thing I was going through at that time, and I, I had some kind of experience that I can't even explain. He said, I felt this forgiveness that I didn't even know I needed. Isn't that cool? Have you ever experienced something like this? Now, many of us would say, yeah. It may not be quite so demonstrative, quite so supernatural. It could have been a whisper. It could have been just a quiet warmth that came over you. But what Jesus is communicating to Nicodemus, this amazing religious teacher, the guy who's at the top of the food chain in Israel in the first century, is that his pedigree and his birth certificate is not sufficient. He needed an additional certificate of birth. He needed a heavenly birth certificate. And I kind of think if you follow through John that, uh, that Nicodemus was born again at some point, it looks to be that at the very crucifixion and, and the preparation of Jesus' body to go into the tomb, although he didn't stay dead long, that Nicodemus was, was investing in the, um, the, the treatment of the body and helping to carry him to a tomb. And uh, some believe that he was an early leader in the church and was probably got the left foot of fellowship from the Sanhedrin, I would imagine. But uh, we, we, we don't know exactly. Tradition says that John and Peter baptized Nicodemus, but that's not in the Bible, but it may be. Uh, but the point is, he encountered Jesus Christ. He encountered new birth, okay? So, uh, Jesus told Nicodemus, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And then he goes on to say this, uh, very truly, you know, I mean, you got truly, yeah, yeah, this is true. Then you have very truly. And uh, it's like, I believe that everything Jesus is saying is true. I don't need the very truly, but Jesus is wanting us to see something. This isn't just true. This is very true, okay? So very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Ask George and Terry. Uh, <laughs> Ask Wade and Kayla. Uh, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must, this is Jesus, you must be born, born again. That word born again can mean born from above. That word born again can mean born a second time. Uh, of course, not physically here, but born again can mean born from the beginning. I like that. Uh, a new creation the Apostle Paul writes to the church at, uh, at, at Corinth, and he says, if any man, woman be in Christ, he's a new creation, a new creature. The old things have passed away. All things have become new. I like to believe I went in a pig, and I came out an eagle, or whatever your favorite animal. I don't, I'm not trying to get on pigs right now, okay? But, but yeah, trying to stay biblical. The Jewish people didn't like pigs. They were very dirty, okay? You maybe have a pet pig, and forgive me, we can... Take that out of the uh, transcript a little bit later, okay? But the idea is there's a transformation. It's a whole new species of being is what I understand the Greek to mean there as I've studied over the years. You're transformed. Heaven meets earth. You know, uh, the Spirit of God rattles down that ladder and he transforms our life in that moment of surrender to Jesus Christ. Physical birth versus spiritual birth. 
Some have identified that, you know, the born of water, born of spirit, you know, there's water involved in the birthing process. And of course, the born of the spirit is what the Holy Spirit leads us to Christ and, and the baptism in the Holy Spirit and all the beautiful wonder and mystery of, of what we experience in Christ and as a church. Uh, some see it as kind of a co combination, one-two punch, water and spirit, representing one act, a cleansing of regeneration. We don't know exactly. We we don't practice baptismal regeneration as some, uh, as some streams do, some of the more historical churches uh, we, we, that, that you're actually saved by the water. We don't believe that. We believe we are saved by surrender to the one who saves us, Jesus Christ. All right, now I'm not, I'm not outing anybody or getting on any other doctrine or whatever, but uh, we need, what, what this is telling us, I believe, today is we need a heavenly birth certificate to enter the kingdom of God. Uh, baptism, I love, that's another reason I love baptism, and I know there's been some interest, and uh, we we're hearing you, and there might be some others, but I, I don't think you have to be baptized to be saved. I don't believe that theologically, but I believe baptism is a beautiful picture and symbolism of this new birth. You come up out of the water, a new creation, and it's making a statement. This is what's happened to me. This is what's happening to me. Maybe in the moment of baptism, maybe it's already happening. You're going into the water, but baptism Physically, the water, a lot of baptism going on in John. Have we seen that? John is out baptizing in chapter one and down at the Jordan River and he sees Jesus, behold the Lamb of God. And so I think baptism in water is, is very important, although I think it's something more mystical and spiritual that John's giving us here, not just physical water uh, probably, but uh, uh, maybe that spiritual one-two punch, who knows. Um, so, but here's Nicodemus, he's saying, <laughs> this is a leader in Israel, this is a teacher, this is a teacher of Israel, he's saying, I still don't get it, Lord. How, how can this be? Um, even though uh, he is who he is, it's just the lights haven't turned on yet, and Jesus unpacks it more, and here's what he says. To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, let's see if I jumped ahead here. Let me just check and see. Um, yeah, okay, I want you to see this, because this goes back to chapter 1. Uh, to all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision, or husbands will be born of God. So that's that verse, that beautiful prologue, that, that introduction to the gospel of John. And you see that right in the middle there, verses 13 through 15. No one has ever, um, uh, um, yeah, no, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born again. And that comes through, uh, uh, that comes through encountering the Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, yeah, let me just check there. I think that's, I don't know if I got ahead of myself. Hold on a second. I think I did. We'll maybe come back to that verse. Remember that. Take a snapshot. Of, get your phones out right now, okay? Take a snapshot of that verse because somehow that one, it snuck up the ladder, so to speak. I'm preaching on ladders here. And it snuck up the ladder of my PowerPoint, okay? Uh, okay, so let's look at how, how, uh, how Jesus continues to unpack this in verses 16 through 17. He says, for God so loved no, this is getting bad. <laughs> Hold on. Maybe you have to help me up there, Connor. Um, I'm looking for John 3, 13. I'm just going to read this right now, okay? Let's just go back a little bit because I, I don't know what's happened here. We, there may be a, a, a devil in the technology. That's happened one other time in my life. Okay, so I'm just going to hold right there for a second. So Jesus unpacks it. If you find it up there, it's John 3, 13 uh, through 15. He says, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, 
This is Jesus talking again to Nicodemus. He says, uh, and that's the son of man. I, I think that too, again, is kind of a, a picture of that ladder that we talked about a couple of weeks ago at Bethel, the house of God, where angels were ascending and descending. And now it's like, okay, now this is actually a heavenly moment, Nicodemus. Listen to what I'm saying here, because this isn't gonna be something that you, you learn from your scribes or your friends, their non-friends, the Sadducees or your fellow Pharisees. Um, uh, this is coming from heaven because I am the son of man who's been there and I'm here. And just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life. And you can see that if you're following along in your scripture. You don't necessarily uh, need it in, in front of you there, but it's, it's uh, or on the overhead, but it's, it, listen, what, what's he saying? Um, Lift, a serpent lifted up in the wilderness, snakes in the desert. This is kind of creepy sounding here, isn't it? You'd have to go back to Numbers uh, chapter, oh, I think it's chapter 25, if I remember right. And the Israelites are in the wilderness and they're, they're, they're moving through the wilderness and they grew impatient and they began to murmur and complain against God and against Moses and they encounter venomous snakes because God just said, okay, your, your hearts have turned wayward now and, and the snakes begin to go wild. They were probably always there, but now they were biting them and they were poisonous, venomous snakes and lives were being lost and the Israelites came to Moses and they repented and they asked for forgiveness and they asked Moses to pray for their deliverance and Moses... Uh, went before God and prayed for the people, and God had a response. He said, the Lord instructed him to make a snake and put it on a pole. This sounds weird, doesn't it? Take a snake. It sounds like Greek mythology where we get our medical symbol, the snake and the pole. Okay, the, he's, take this snake, put it on a bronze, all this. It, it sounds like an idol. And, and, and when they lifted that pole up, and the people who were bitten by snakes looked at that snake and that pole, they were healed. Isn't that some weird stuff? No, what it is is a foreshadow of what John is going to be talking about throughout his beautiful gospel. You see, the foreshadow in the Old Testament is really close to where John's at right now in all of humanity. We're not a snake, not a poisonous snake. Well, anyone look at a poisonous snake to get healed. No, you look to the lamb who's going to be raised on a pole. And in looking to the lamb, you're going to be saved. You're going to be healed. You're going to be transformed. And that was that foreshadowing and that picture. And that's why John introduces that, that scripture and that text in the Old Testament of you know, the, the book of Numbers. Uh, anyone bitten could look to that bronze snake and live. That's what the cross. And I think, again, I needed my ladder. You talk about Jesus, the son of man, coming down and going up and his revelation and his teaching. Now we have the most beautiful picture of a ladder, and imagine a ladder where heaven opens up and God's space comes down to our space, our world, our realm, our dimension. The cross is the ultimate ladder. That's that pole where the Lamb of God hung. John uh, the Baptist said, behold, when he first saw him, behold or look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's your ladder right there. That's where heaven meets earth through the cross and through the sacrifice which we recognize, which we remembered, which we encountered this morning at the table of the Lord. His life and his suffering, his death and his resurrection. Okay, so how, how are we born again? Uh, in our sinful, broken condition, we look to the cross where the lamb 
not a snake was lifted up and we repent. I'm just, I'm reiterating it here, okay? We, through repentance and through surrender and through recognition, um, John the Baptist said, look, the Lamb of God, eternal life, Jesus notes here, and you don't see the scripture because it never made it, but it says that you will receive eternal life when you look to the Lamb. When, 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 when the Son of Man is lifted up, everyone who believes may have, may have eternal life. Now, another way to say it is John 1, 12 through 13. I don't know if you have that up there. Beautiful. It, oh, God is good. Look at there. Uh, and that's where I, I wanted you to go back. You, some of you took a picture on your cell phone. You can delete that picture. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. There it is. That's the beautiful exchange that we see taking place there. We surrender, we look to Jesus Christ, and that's how we are born from above, born again, how we are, um, uh, be, we become new creatures. It's looking to the Lord. Uh, we repent, uh, we believe, we receive. We're born of God. Uh, why? And I just, I, I wanna kind of bring this to a conclusion this morning. When I ask the question why, uh, why, why is, is this so important to John? Why is this so important to the church throughout history? Why is this so important to history and to all creation? Because here we see the character of the creator, most powerful force in all the universes, plural. The God of all creation is, is unveiling his heart and his will. And here it is in John chapter three, verse 16. And we memorize this uh, and you may be memorized in another version, but it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. There in a nutshell, you can take all, all of your theology and all of your understanding of the cross and God's, God's purpose and his plan and Israel to, you know, to the new Jerusalem and you can all say, this is where it all flows from. God's amazing love for his creation, for humanity. That's the reason, that's the why. Because of God's great love. I wanna invite the worship team to come up here. And, and as they're coming, I just wanna conclude in a little bit of a different way this morning. Uh, because this is, this is a great message, I think, of just a reminder of what this, this, this conversation is between Nicodemus and Jesus and a couple, one of a couple very important conversations in the Gospel of John. But I ask you this, how important is your birth certificate today? For most of us, we would say, like me, I have never seen this birth certificate in my life. I don't, did we need one when we got married? What did it look like? It wasn't, didn't look like this. I would like to see the one we have. Hopefully, it looks a lot more impressive than this thing. I'm a little discouraged, I mean, what? but I'll get over it. Um, but the reality is, I don't frame that, especially that. I don't carry it in my wallet and say, hey, want to see my birth certificate? You know? When I meet a new friend, I say, whoa, 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 let me, see, let me show you that Eau Claire, Wisconsin, 1960, 2.30-something p.m., you know? Uh, see how cheap it was? I... It happened, and it's important. It's important, especially if I want to travel, get a you know passport. Or but come on, be honest with you. When was the you know 
don't tell me now, but just think, when was the last time you needed your birth certificate, if ever? And sometimes in the church, in the body of Christ, in our faith journey, we kind of we kind of camp out at, yes, have you been born again? There's been books written on this. Have you been born? There was a president back when I was a kid, you know. I've been born again. And he was like the first president ever to be born again because it's kind of a catchphrase that we have for maybe a stream in the church. Have you been born again? Yeah, I've been born again. You know, it's good. We need to be born. I mean, I don't know where Chris Christopherson is. I don't know what became of his experience. I don't know him personally. I saw a video here recently where he has a home in Maui and on a hill behind his house is a massive cross. So maybe Chris Christofferson continued, but it's not the birth. It's the life that follows the birth. Are you hearing that? Uh, please hear this. It's not this encounter. Man, I would like, I mean, I've, I've had some experiences with the Lord, but I don't think they match Chris Christofferson's. You know, my hand, hey, Oh, 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 someone taking your hand and throwing it in the air, running you down the aisle. I mean, I, I'm not sure exactly how it happened, but he almost makes it sound like it was supernatural. Some of you may have had that, but don't camp out there. It's not how you were born or where you were born or what time you were born into the kingdom of God. It's what your life is becoming in the kingdom of God. And if you're still acting like a baby what are they, a suckling? <laughs> Do they say that anymore? If you're still acting like a baby that's not even on, uh, on Gerber's yet or, or meat of the word yet, it's time for you to move past the encounter of where God shook you to the toes and, and uh, from the head to the toes and you felt all warm or maybe it was a peaceful moment or whatever it was where, where heaven opened up and came to your earth. You need to understand that was not your destination there. That was the beginning there. And we want to be a church, and we want the church of Madison, we want the church worldwide to be a church that's growing in our faith, one that's maturing. And, and they go, whoa, you were born. It's obvious because look at the loving man, the loving woman, the young, loving young man, young woman that you have become, how you treat your brothers, your co-workers, how you serve your neighbors, how you pour your life up. By the way, we need a lot of help on Friday night for the food pantry. All of our women are going to party up in Green Lake. Come help. Come and be mature in your faith. Don't stay as a baby. Come to the food pantry. I've never done that before. That was kind of cool. That worked. I know you're all going to be coming. Come on, listen to me. Just love your pastor. Don't feel like I'm trying to manipulate you, manipulate you although I was trying to. Um, but would, can you see that? I mean, I'm really jumping all over this. I'm pounding this. I would say I'm I'm beating a dead horse, but we love horses in our family. We do not beat them. We love them. Um, uh, so you help me with a better, a better phrase there, a better word picture. But the point is, yes, we are grateful for, and you need that. Two questions. Have you had it? You need it. Jesus said, if you want to experience the kingdom, and it is a joy ride. It is, it is crazy, the kingdom of God. It is it, it, you think those, you think those crazy, that Superman ride at Six Flags is wild? The kingdom of God is a rush because it's the king of all eternity that's leading us if we're following him. But we need to start somewhere. You must be born again. Not a physical thing. Doesn't matter where you've come from, where you're going. You need to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. You need to come into the family and then let's grow together. None of us should be satisfied with where we're at today but we're just humbly and purposefully saying, I'm going to be more, I'm going to look more like Jesus tomorrow than I did yesterday. That's a challenge.
because there are days we take about two or four steps back, right? That's all right. Get up, Peter. Get up. Proclaim Christ and walk with Jesus and let him transform us. Amen? Let's stand together. Thanks for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, check out our website at www.ridway.church.